Sandra, let me first say it is an honor to be here with you. I'm a I'm an admirer of yours, and I think you're quite the hero. Thank you so much. It's uh, my honor as well to have you with me. I'm I'm honored to have you uh, to with us to be together. Yes. Anyway, you and I are very different in the sense of we both speak on the subject of Islam, but I'm somewhat of a theoretician. I've studied Islam for 40 years, but I've never lived Islam. And so I thought there were some questions that I could ask that might be to ask somebody who's lived it. And the first question I would like to ask is, when I think of you, I think of a brave woman who's an apostate, which means that you're living in danger. So what is your life like as an apostate from Islam? Well, it has two sides. The first side that I'm free from Sharia law. I'm free from all this uh, stressful life, all the abuse that I had under uh, living under Islamic Sharia law. Uh, I, I feel like a relief, but at the same time, not fully relieved. Uh, the fact that we are facing a government in Canada here who's fighting us, not fighting for us and trying to pass the Islamophobia uh, emotions and all that, I don't feel secure. I don't feel like, um, I, I don't feel safe. Like Sandra, me. let me ask you something. The supreme Islamophobe would be an apostate. So to some degree, if they actually pass this law and implement it to the fullest, the Canadian government hunt you down and arrest you because you're the biggest kind of Islamophobe. Do I read uh, this right? Uh, yes, they they gonna. I, I don't know yet what's gonna happen. We will wait until you know what uh, the final uh, uh, decision. What they gonna make? And uh, yes, definitely, um, it's gonna be hard for us to criticize Islam. It's uh, Sharia law. Islamophobia motion. It's a Sharia law motion. Actually, it's, it's, it's Sharia blasphemy law. Yes, it's a Sharia blasphemy law technically, but they're bringing it in a different name, in a different way. Of course, using the taqiyya and the deceiving and trying to keep peace and and also removes the suspicions that uh, terrorism is related to Islam. That's what the ultimate goal. Now, I, another question I have for you is, I have never lived inside of a black garb in the tropical heat, but when I see pictures of women in the Middle East and it's summertime and they're dragged in black and they have the niqab on, you've worn this apparel. How comfortable is it in the summertime? Very practical question. Oh my God, it's it's not uh, funny at all. It's so hard and I've been... Uh, I've been actually kicked out from school. The fact that I argue it with the teachers and uh, um, it's it's hard. Like we cannot breathe. Uh, uh, the humid, the temperature in Saudi Arabia, it's very uh, it's very hot, and uh, the we cannot like it's not even healthy. You you you're you're not inhaling. Um, the, the air, the fresh air, you're not inhaling a fresh air. And uh, as well, the sweat and it's not comfortable. Uh, it, it's very difficult uh, feeling, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not even funny. So Hard. when I hear American women say that they feel free in their hijab and their, I don't want to use the word burqa, but all that, that they feel free in it, you don't feel free. Of course not. Uh, what what free boarding wrapping yourself like a mummy? Like uh, what's free? You know this is not free. This is the freedom. Like they they uh, uh, and many of them they don't even know why they are wearing the hijab or what's the story of hijab to begin with started. Mm -hmm. It's actually to, just to, to distinguish to, the the division between the sixth slave 
and the Muslim women. That's the whole story. I, if you ask them, many Muslim women, they don't even know the story of hijab. They just wear it because they're brainwashed, they're being brainwashed with it. And uh, since they're young, they're thinking that if, uh, if, they, you know, if they wear the hijab, it's more a uh, holy, righteous protection from any sexual assault and whatever. But yet, even in Saudi Arabia, many women, they got sexually assaulted and actually also raped. And around the Kaaba itself, they got sexually harassed and sexually assaulted. And uh, around the Kaaba, when they do the polygamy. Well, I have another question for you. When I was a professor, a Muslim student came into my office and saw a picture of my daughter. And he says, oh, is that your wife? And I was stunned that he would think that someone that young could be my wife. But then, I, of course, Muhammad married a child bride. And so I was going to ask you, in Islamic countries, is marriage to what I would call children, let's say under the age of, say, 14 or 15, is that common? Of course. Uh, in, every, in every Muslim country, the percentage of the underage marriage, it's actually high and it's also increasing. The fact really? uh, that... Yes, it's not even the decreasing, it's, it's increasing, uh, especially now at the time of war, like especially because you know what's going on in Iraq and Syria and, uh, and, and Yemen. Yemen, more than 50% of the girls married under age, at age of uh, seven, eight years old. No. Like, and in Islam, there is no minimum age for marriage. A man, a grown man can marry a, a baby girl like in, in, a, in a cradle, in a diaper actually. Like there's no minimum age for marriage and they're allowed to do thawing and all the groping and all the sexual pleasure with the baby. And that's what Muhammad did with Aisha between six and nine. And then nine, he consummated the marriage, which is we call it rape, but they call it marriage. That's true. And that's happening. And it's also increasing. It's not decreasing. Well, I have another question for you in the marriage of inside of the harem. If you have multiple wives. We know that in Muhammad's harem, if you read the hadith carefully, there was a great deal of jealousy. And as a matter of fact, the harem divided into two parts. Is jealousy common within marriages with multiple wives or are they, are they harmoniously live together? Um, there is a, a, a different cases. Some cases they, they, they can't. Some cases they, they got fights together. And uh, some cases they uh, accept it because the Muslim women... 99.9%, uh, .9%, I would say, if it's not all of them, all Muslim women, they uh, they being brainwashed uh, since they're young that this is something it's okay, and the man has uh, authority over women, and uh, they have to accept it because she has to obey the husband, and if she uh, rebel against him, she considered like not a good Muslim woman. She cannot. Uh, um, you know, uh, you know, fight against this uh, act, and even if she got, even if she has jealousy, she cannot even sh um, show it. She has mm -hmm. to accept it and submit to the man uh, because that's how she show to uh, that that she's a really good Muslim woman. She has to submit to it. Well, I'd like to ask you one more question about marriage. When I first heard about FGM, female genital mutilation, I was horrified. I could not believe the barbarity of it. Is it really that common or does it vary from country to country? Uh, it's it's common and also it's different between from country to country is different. I would say the like, for example, in Egypt and Yemen and Somalia, mainly in Sudan, uh, major, major Muslim African 
Muslim country they do it. Uh, but uh, again, we cannot always with Muslims. We cannot have uh, statistics. We cannot. They can never have like a. We can never know exactly like what's the number because they hide it and also they play the taqiyya. Oh, this is not belong to Islam. We don't do that. And many girls they 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 do it as young as like a baby, like five years old, and uh, you know they don't. They how can we know what they're doing okay. to this baby and behind doors, right? Well, do you know if it's if is it as common in Iran? Yes, of course, Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was hoping the, I was hoping it wasn't. No, it is. And uh, see, uh, as I said, uh, majority of Muslim women they got caught up with a psychological problem with a, a syndrome, Stockholm syndrome. So whatever, mm -hmm. like whatever they they grow with the slaughter you know they grow with with these men uh, taking uh, a control of them and uh, the stockholm syndrome that they have uh, uh, all of them they have this uh, psychological problem and they will defend it and they will say yeah it's okay well i have another question to ask you about the family and marriage and that is in saudi arabia i hear stories in particular some hindus have told me this that the women who go to Saudi Arabia to work as servants, particularly inside of the home, that rape is not unknown. Do you know anything about this? Uh, the Hindu woman, you said? Oh, a Hindu, a Hindu told me this. Okay. That, that the Hindus and others are taught, are, are treated very badly in Saudi yeah. Arabia. And that in particular, the women who come in, in, in from the Philippines and from Hindu areas to work within the home as female servants, that rape is not unknown amongst them. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I would say majority of them, they got raped by the Saudi men because to them, they look at them as a, a ama. In Arabic, they call them ama or hand right possessed. So Malikat al-Yamin. Uh, so they have the, the authority to have sex with them. They are like the slaves to them. Mm. Yeah, so m many of them, and we, there is many cases as well that it's been revealed. Uh, um, in Saudi Arabia of uh, Filipino women and Indonesian. Actually, I lived in Saudi Arabia. The Saudis, they treat, actually us, me as a Palestinian living in Saudi Arabia, we, we've been called a foreigner. We're not, uh, uh, we're not even, you know, considered, um, uh, we consider second class citizen to Saudis, you know, Saudi native people. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's not uh, Saudi native, uh, already it's been treated as a second class and they don't treat them with uh, respect. So, and also these maids, they come to, uh, behind doors, they do whatever they want with them. They um, put them on starvation, they make them work uh, long hours and on top of that, the rape. Yes, of course, it's happening. You know, the thing is I'm learning talking with you as someone who has lived and practiced Islam, is, this, is that Islam is practiced just like it's taught. That is, theory and practice go together. It works out just like you were, I was afraid it would. That is, this is all true. Of course this is all true. As I always say, I did not just read about Islam. I lived it. I lived under Sharia law. Living in Saudi Arabia, exactly you're living with ISIS. Nothing, not more, not less. You, you go to Arraqqa, you go to Saudi Arabia. It's the same, same treatment. They treat people, uh, you know, that there's a, the Hayat al-Amr al-Munkar, the Sharia law police on the streets. Women must cover 
whatever whatever we, we see it's even worse when you actually live it it's different it's different when you're really inside uh, looking from outside it might be a bit uh not really you know uh can feel it but when, once you in uh, it's like you're inside the jail if you're in an islamic country and you see the west on the media now part of what is put in the media about the west embarrasses me and i find disgusting but yep. at the same time, if you're living under Sharia and you see other people doing things, is there ever any envy there? Or is it just, I'm just, what is your, what is the reaction? Uh, for the, I did, sorry, I didn't get that question right. Well, say if you're a woman and you see the, how it is, how life is lived in the West. Now, let me give you an example. Noni Darwish, who's a yep. noted apostate here in America, said that, when she was young, that one of the things that she would see these pictures in magazines of a bride and a wedding, and she says, I so wanted to be a princess for a day, to be a queen for a day. And so therefore there was a longing for this. And I just wondered, do you ever, if you're inside of the Sharia, ever look outside in the media and go, oh, I would like, I wish that I could live that. Or is it disgusting and you're not, there's no envy? Oh yeah, I hear you now. Uh Actually, since I was young, since I was teenage, without me looking, I was already wanted to escape Sharia without me. Before I know exactly what's going on really outside, uh, you know, in other countries. But uh, definitely, yes, uh, we when when we looked at uh, when we watch like a movie or like a magazine or see, um, uh, you know, women who are strong ladies who can speak up their minds and they're not wearing hijab. Of course, you know, I, we, I would always, I always wanted to, to uh, live this life, you know, to be uh, civilized, to be me, to, to be free, to, uh, to remove this uh, uh, black, uh, you know, uh, stupid cover that they wrapping us with it. And, uh, I just wanted to, you know, go ahead and 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 live my life uh, freely and without uh, having me live uh, feeling that I'm suppressed, like I'm under brush. I cannot and I want to free my thoughts. I want to criticize. Mm. You know, I was always rebelling, criticizing Quran, criticizing Muhammad, criticizing the Sharia Allah is the way of life. That it's like a constitution itself. You know, I was always. Uh, uh, criticizing all these, that's why um, I was always, uh, of course, you know, um, slowly, slowly start to admire or wanting uh, to leave Middle East, to leave uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, and that's what happened. That's why I'm here, <laughs> and I made well, it. I did it. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're free. I only wish that another, well, let's see if there's one and a half billion Muslims, roughly 700 million women could also be free as well. My heart goes out to the suffering of the Islamic women. I do, I do hope so, but at the end of the day, you, you cannot help someone who doesn't want to be helped, you know, unless they want it, unless they realize, unless they see Muhammad, they unveil Muhammad and see the real picture of Muhammad and, 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 and also until they start looking at the Quran without the uh, halo of the, of the, uh, this um, they put it around the Quran and to see things the way it is, to see the reality of Islam, and not to be, uh, not to lie to themselves. Mm -hmm. Like you can lie to each other, to to other people, but at the end of the day, you cannot lie to yourself. I can never, you know, I can I can never myself like I couldn't never accept um, 
things that they they taught us when I was in school. Since I was in school, they taught us that we have to hate the infidels, the kafir. We have to kill the Jewish people, anti-Semitism. We have to kill the Christian. We have to dominate. We have to go for jihad and and all that stuff. These things I start to re to to see it the way it is. It, it's not a way. That's not the way to go. Like that's not. It's against humanity before any god. It's against. Let me ask you a question here. You used the word kafir, which I also used. How common is the calling me a kafir? If if you were in, is that the common word for me amongst Muslims speaking amongst themselves in Arabic that I would be kafir? Of course, this is the actual word that we, uh, you know, we as a, as a kafir, we always need to use it because that's the word. Like in Quran, kafir, kafir. Al-kuffar, qatil al-kuffar. Kill the, you know, it's not actually the end. I would say the kafir will be more rights than the word well, I, I, when in my work I'd never translate the word kafir as unbeliever or infidel I say that is the word let us use the word because yes. then it causes people to think about what it means I maintain that the word kafir is the worst word in the human language that's so true and it came from Muhammad he is the one who invented it uh, because he called anyone who do not believe in him kafir and he should be put to death if he did not accept Islam so my usage of the word kafir is correct. 100%. It's been a delight talking with you. I want to do this more with you because like I say, I read books, I read media, but it's very different to talk with someone who can give me the honest honesty of what happens in the Islamic world from actual practice, not just the theory. So this has been fun. Let's do it again. Amen. Uh, it's my pleasure and definitely we're gonna do it more. What's life for you like being an apostate? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free. <laughs>